You guys are amazing. Are you guys clapping for the announcements now? I haven't even said it's, I haven't even said it's time for the offering. And, uh, you know, don't be surprised by that. When we, when we give at this church, it's an exciting time, and everybody gets kind of happy to do that. If you're a guest and that surprises you later, let me just tell you why. You know, God has given us everything that we have. He's given us the very air that we breathe, gave us the intellect and the ability, gave us the background, gave us the opportunity gave you the school that you went to, everything. It all comes from God. And so when we have the opportunity to give and we see the difference that it's making, there's something about it that makes us very cheerful and happy. And God always wants people to give that way, giving out of a cheerful heart. And uh, you're just among people like that. If you're new to Heartland, we have a saying around here. We call Heartland the guilt-free zone. And what that means is, is everybody knows they've let down their own standard, let alone God's. And so we want to give you the opportunity to encounter the grace and the love of God And we also want to let you encounter the truth of God. It's something that's so amazing when you find it together. Unconditional acceptance and unadulterated truth. It's going to be true and there's going to be grace. And in that environment, powerful things happen. You really grow and uh, you become something better than what you used to be. And so that's the environment you're in today. And that's how I'm going to teach God's word to you this morning. Will will you stand as we read God's word together? James chapter 1. I hope you're ready for it. Let's give honor to God's word. You can follow along on the screen. The book of James, the first New Testament book ever written, ever written down by the first pastor, written to the first Christians. It's one of the most powerful books in the entire Bible, and we're going to be reading from uh, the first chapter and reading uh, from the, I believe, the ninth verse today, the twelfth verse today. And then we're going to go over to Mark, and I'm going to read a few verses from the first chapter of Mark as well. Have you found it? You ready? All right. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, or approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when they go through trials, when they're tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So he's saying, don't blame God for what's going on. He says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires, And he's enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, it brings forth death. So don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. By his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all of his creatures. If James gives us the instruction, then Jesus is now the example for us of this passage that we just read. Listen to him in the first chapter of the book of Mark, the highest moment in Jesus' life thus far. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And then there's this sudden shift to the left, where now the same spirit that just descended upon him, it says, and the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and in the wilderness... He was there 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. I want to talk to you again this morning about the test of preparation, that you 
are going through something right now. And whatever tragedy, difficulty, hardship, pain, disaster, problem, pressure that you're experiencing, you have an opportunity to say, God, what are you trying to do in me through this? And will you pass that test? Will that trial define you or will it destroy you? Will it make you bitter or will it make you better? That's what I want to talk to you about today, the test of preparation, the second part. And I want you to know this is for you this morning. This is for you. If you're watching on the internet, if you're watching this right now, text somebody and tell them they need to hear this because you know people who are going through this thing right now. I want all of you to know that God has some help for you this morning that's going to be encouraging. Are you ready uh, to receive it? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're going to do right now. Would you please speak to us by your word? Thank you for giving me the grace to to give this message. Thank you that you called me, Lord, even me, to share this word. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit, and I pray that you would help us all to hear what your spirit is saying. Make us willing, Lord. Feed us deeply in our souls today that we will not hunger, and we'll leave here changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If I were to ask your kids where you get food from, they would say, well, the grocery store, the supermarket. And if I were to ask you where that came from, you'd probably say the same thing, the supermarket. We've really lost touch with what happens uh, from, where, from the food coming from the farm, which we've kind of lost touch with altogether, and the grocery store shelf. What happens? There is so much knowledge that has been lost over the last 50 years that used to be pretty much common to everyone about how we live and how how we're supposed to survive and how things work in the world as we move away from the agrarian culture to a more urban, uh, mobile, instantaneous, microwave, give it to me now kind of a culture. And so there's so many things that that we, we used to understand that was part of our, uh, the, the collective imprint, you know, of common knowledge that everybody kind of had, and it's, and it's gone. So it's, it's a struggle when we read the Bible because so much of the Bible, uh, the metaphors are agricultural, and the people were working in an agricultural world, and so the things that were said and the things that happened to people um, made sense to them. Today, we read English, we hear the words but we don't really understand exactly what's being said. We lose our own handle on what's normal. Instead, we superimpose what's culturally normal on top of the word of God. Having lived for so long all of our lives in a society that is really on demand, you can get anything you want when you want it. There's so many options. So when Jesus talks about something like this, he says, for example, in the scripture, the wheat will be separated from the chaff. Okay, we understand those English words, but do we really understand what he's talking about? We've long forgotten things like, what is a threshing floor? And what does it mean to really separate wheat from chaff? And what really is chaff? And so we have to explain it. We have to alter uh, how we think in order to even understand the message that the Lord wants to teach us. I'm sure it's one in ten people that really don't understand what threshing of wheat really is. So let me explain. The process of threshing wheat is where you would harvest the wheat and they would bring it in and they would put it on a stone floor. And there, the workers would take big sticks and clubs and for hours beat 
the wheat, just smashing it, pulverizing it, beating on it, breaking it apart until there's just a mess of wheat kernels and husks and stalks and all the rest of the wheat, and it's all spread out on the floor in just one big mess. After they've beat on it and pulverized it and smashed it, the workers come with these big winnowing forks, these big fans, and they scoop it up and they throw it up into the air, toss it into the air where the, big, where the wind now comes and blows away all that is worthless and all that is not valuable, all of the husk and the chaff. It's blown away, and that which is valuable, the, the, the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and remains. So now that we understand this, now we can understand why so many times the scriptures talk about wheat and threshing and harvesting and all of that. What the threshing floor is for wheat, trials are for your life. What the threshing floor is for wheat, it's what trials are for your life. It's a process of separation. It's a process of sifting. It's a place where the useless is separated away and the valuable remains. And suddenly you recognize, I've been there before. I've been on the threshing floor at different times in my life. Times when I was just pounded down. Times when I was beaten upon. Times when it felt like life was going to crush me. And then out of nowhere, tossed up into the air. And then a blast of wind came and blew us all apart. And life feels like that. Sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. And all of us have experienced the high times times and the crushing times where life has pounded us down and wind blows away chaff and the lighter, shallower stuff that is not even useful that God can't use is blown away. And so he'll let windstorms come into our lives to blow away the, the, the things that are worthless so that the weightier glory of what he's trying to do in us remains and stays. Now, if I don't say anything else this morning, that's a whole sermon right there. That's what God is after. That's why the writer of James says to you, Pastor James says, don't think it's strange when this happens to you. This is the normal part, what everybody whom I'm writing to would understand that a sifting time must come, that this pounding that I'm going through, it's not that God's trying to kill me. God paid a lot for me. God sent his son, his precious son, to die on the cross and purchase my life with his blood. He cares about me, but he is putting me on the threshing floor because he's sifting away that which he doesn't want so that 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 which he does want can remain and stay. That's why God takes us into the threshing floor. It's on the threshing floor that we say things like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you letting me go through this? God, if you love me, why would you let this happen to me? And we talked last week about how that really is the rookie question. And it's the immature question. In fact, the the asking of the question really reveals within us the very thing that God is trying to remove from us. James says there is a critical mindset here that he's trying to get the, his, his folks, his, his, the people in his church to understand. There is a moment where you can choose joy, where you can say, not because of what's going on, but if you'll understand that this is a threshing process, that there is something of value that's going to remain. So endure it, choose joy. Something great is about to happen. God is at work. He's using this trial. He's not working on your temporary comfort, but he's sifting out your eternal character. And the key quality that he's trying to get to last is the quality of perseverance, the ability just to hang in there and not give up and not quit and not try to get out prematurely from what God is trying to teach you, what God is trying to do in you. Trust in God no matter what. He says that the person who, uh, who gets this, who finally understands that I have other options than blaming God, 
or trying to be God, which is what everybody does, which is, God, you're at fault, or, God, I've I, I got to take control. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get out. If God says, if you'll understand that I'm sifting you, and if you'll just allow me to do my work in you, he says in verse 12, he says, blessed is that man. Blessed is the one who endures trial, or basically, blessed is the man who doesn't cave under the temptation. What temptation? Well, the temptation to blame God, or the temptation to, to, to play God. Blessed is that man who doesn't get mad, who doesn't get up on the soapbox of blame and bitterness. Blessed is the man who endures that, for when he has been proven, or when he is approved, when he's passed the trial, he will receive something great, the crown of life that he's promised to those who love him. So, you know, don't think that God is doing something bad to you. Let no man say that, that God is tempting him, that God, you know, God can't, God doesn't bring evil, and God isn't doing evil to you, and he's not tempting you to do evil. He's after something good. He says what's really going on is we get enticed. We, we, we have our own desires that are at war within us that are pulling us to do whatever we want, the desires that say, well, it should be my way, and this is the way I think things should go, which is really the root of all discouragement. Things did not go the way that I thought. And so he says, blessed is the person who realizes that there is a process of preparation, a sifting time to endure, and realize that what's trying to get you out of that process comes really from within you. And on top of that, you have an enemy that's trying to entice you by your own desires. I told you last week that the word entice comes from that word we use for, for lure. And he's trying to lure us away with our own desires. He knows exactly what is the right bait to put on the right hook for the right fish. And he knows how to get you. And we're so dumb, we look at the hook, we see it there, and we hang around it anyway. And eventually, you know, we say things like, well, I'm a mature person. I know what this is. I'm, I can handle it. I'm good enough. And we bite on it, and it says when we bite, when we are hooked, when that sin, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and with it comes, um, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. What death? The death of, oh, I can't believe I did that again. Oh, I can't believe how stupid I am. Why do I always do what I don't want to do? Why do I cause these problems? Why is this happening to me? Look at the pain and the suffering it's caused. When will I ever learn? And, and James is saying, look, I'm trying to help you. This is why he says, listen, don't be deceived any longer. Don't be blinded by what's really going on. This trial, this struggle, this, this threshing floor experience that you're going through is designed to sift some things away. And God's going to use it for good. And God is going to bless you. And God's going to make something great happen out of it. But that same experience is also being manipulated by the enemy. And he's right in that exact same experience trying to get you to blame God or to be God. And you get to choose. Choose joy, he says, because of what you know is happening in these various trials. Or just keep going your own way. And keep experiencing life in the same lap over and over and over again. And some of you are frustrated and you feel stuck. And that's why I'm so excited to help you with this today. Because there is a test of preparation that is absolutely normal for every person. Now that's why we go to look at Jesus. Because here's the instruction of James. And now we have the example of Jesus, whom Hebrews tells us was a man just like us, who was tempted in every way just like us. And yet he didn't sin. So what happened to him in his experience? I took you to the day that was at one of the highest moments of his life. 
I mean, Jesus is at the high moment. You need to understand this, that when God tears the heavens open, when God goes public for Jesus, you have to understand what that did for him. It legitimized him. It encouraged him. It did something for a son. When a son hears his father say, that's my boy. I'm proud of him. This is, he belongs to me. Let the whole world know that that's my son. To a young man who all of his life, everybody whispered, now who's really his father? What's this virgin birth? We don't buy that. Who are you anyway? Where did you really come from? What's your story? What's the scandal behind, you know, your existence? We all want to know. And so here's a day where Jesus decides, I'm going public now. I'm going to set out, and I'm going to do the mission that God has put before me. He's about 30 years old. And he says, today's the day it begins. And he announces himself. See, that's why baptism is so powerful. It's a day of going public. There's nothing like the affirmation of saying, today's the day. I want everybody to know I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Great confidence moment. And in this moment, Jesus is in that moment. This is my day. This is my time. This is why I was born. And God the Father goes public for his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The, the beads of water have not even come off his face and the gentle, comforting Holy Spirit settles upon him like a dove. Amazing. The, one of the only times in the whole scripture where you see Father and Son and Holy Spirit together, the, the, the full vesture of the Godhead. You see the, the Father and you see the Holy Spirit coming together for the sole purpose to validate this is the Son of God. This is the Christ. He is Jesus before, but now he is Jesus Christos, the, the Christ one, the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah. Jesus is in that moment where life is high and we don't even, he doesn't even get to enjoy it because life is high and life is low. And in the next verse you read, and then the spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness, drove him. I hate that word. You hate to be driven. You don't want to go to work and have your boss drive you. Nobody likes to be pushed. There's something about that word. It's angry. It's, it implies there's resistance. Jesus doesn't want to go because otherwise, why would the Holy Spirit have to drive Jesus? Nobody wants to go to the wilderness. It's barren. It's dry. It's hot. It's 120 de uh, degrees in the, in the day and freezing cold at night. It's scary. Wild animals are out there. It's a place of scarcity. It's a place of lack and loneliness. There's no food and, and the Spirit of God drives him, like with a whip, drives him out. You cannot stay here. Life is high and life is low, which is why I so identify with this, because you've been there, I've been there. We know moments where we've felt the glory, we've, we've, we've felt the, the blessing of God, we've turned to each other into the world. Life is good. And then there are days when all hell's broken loose, and we're wondering, where is God and what has happened to my life? And so Jesus gives us this incredible experience. It lays it out before us because there is a time of preparation that Jesus went to that every person is going to go through. In fact, multiple times. And you don't get to bypass it. Everybody has to go through it. But because we live in a day and age where everything's on demand and there is no craving that I can't immediately satisfy, if I want to go out to eat, or if I want to stay at home, if I want them to get it in a car and drive it to me, if I want to go somewhere, if I want to fly somewhere, if I don't like the temperature, I can turn the air on. I don't have to worry about anything. I can indulge every desire. It is so hard to understand what God might really be up to. 
And so I'm just trying to normalize this and say into every life, every person is going to go through a period of preparation just like Jesus did. And even though we love the high, there are some lows that are going to come, and God is in those moments. That preparation time is never wasted. We don't want to endure it. We don't want to go there. We, we, We don't understand it. But there is a battle of temptation that is coming that God is preparing us for today. Good morning. (laughs) I'm here to talk to you. (laughs) I want you to hear this. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That there there is a place of deprivation, and it's normal. Don't think that something strange has been happening to you. There's a normal place of deprivation, which is a test of preparation for something that is coming, a fight that's coming later. That's why the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to fast. Fasting is what prepares the body for denial. It's an announcement to the body. This is just a dress rehearsal. This is not the fight. This is is before the fight. This is training my body to say no. I will feel the cravings and not respond to the impulse. I'm preparing myself. This is a rehearsal. You see, we don't understand that there is a training of our body that has to be a part of your spiritual growth. Your emotions, your feelings, your moods. Don't you understand that the whole fight pretty much is just for your mood? That you don't just do what you feel. I can tell you this, that when the mood is low, When you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're afraid, when you're angry, when you're critical, when you're ungrateful, when you're judgmental, all of those lower moods, that's when you're totally vulnerable to every other temptation. Nobody falls morally when they're feeling confident and grateful and happy and secure. Everybody just resists. So the whole battle isn't really for all the moral issues, is it? The battle is for your mood. It's to get your mind and to get you down there where you're a sitting duck for everything. And God says, I got to train your ability not to respond to the flesh. I got to train your ability to say, you don't have to do everything that you feel. You don't have to do it just because you feel it. Your body needs to learn how to, how to feel pain and craving and, and loneliness and fear and all of that and still not respond in the way of the flesh. Am I making sense to anybody this morning? I'm trying to go deeper. We want him to deliver us from that. We say, God, deliver me from the temptation. Take it away. I don't want to go there. And God's not going to do that. The prayer says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. But you will not be delivered by God from temptation. Because because if if, if he takes away temptation, he takes away your, your desires. Temptation just comes out of your own desire. It's something that you want. You can't tempt me with something that I don't want right? So the temptation is going to happen my whole life. As long as I'm alive, as long as I have desires, there's going to be temptation. I've got a sinful nature that wants things. And I have a tempter who's going to try to manipulate those desires. He wants to to pull me off. He wants to get me when I'm down. And so I'm always going to be tempted. Now, Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he didn't sin. It is not a sin to be tempted, which is why God is not going to deliver you from temptation. It's not a sin. But we have to learn how to overcome temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Some of you have had your whole life on hold waiting for God to deliver you from a temptation. Oh, God, deliver me from this craving. Deliver me from this lust. Take away the desire for sweets, God. You know, whatever it is. God, get rid of this temptation. Get rid of it because, Lord, I want it so badly. Take away my desires, Lord. Have you ever prayed that prayer? And you prayed that prayer because you think whatever flesh wants, flesh ought to get. So much so that if you still want it and the desire doesn't go away, you blame God and say, God, why aren't you taking away these desires? Or maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not, he's not taking it away because I'm supposed to feel this way. I was just born this way. This is the way I'm supposed to be. This is, this, this is the way I, I should be. And you're, you're, because you're so used to just getting whatever you want. Never been denied anything at any time. I don't care if he's married. If I want him, I'm going to have him. I don't care if the Bible says no. I don't, say, I don't care what it says. If I feel it, then it must be right. Right to you is what it is this month. You know, that's where most of us live. Like, and then we judge other people who aren't meeting our standards, but ours is the one that's changing from once to month, too. I mean, this is how it works, right? Can I go deeper here? I'm just telling you the truth. And so, so we're saying, God, take away these desires. Take them. I'm not taking away your desires. They're part of who you are. And you have a tempter too. So I'm going to teach you how to feel pain and how to feel difficulty and how to endure some things and still have character. And still be able to stand your ground and not cave into it and not give into it. And this has to affect us. And parents, I want to tell you as one who doesn't know everything, but I can tell you this, to take this into our parenting world. Oh, just give them whatever they want. They deserve it. Give it to them. Just indulge them. We love our kids. Give them whatever they want. You're ruining them. And you know why? You know why that happens? Oh, listen, I I don't want you to clap. I'm disgusted with it. I'm sad about it. It, Here's the thing. We want to just give it, we want to do that, and we don't realize that the fight is going to come someday. And because they've never been denied anything, they think that what flesh wants, flesh ought to have. And you can't get rid of a devil you're sleeping with on Friday. You know, I mean, you can't, what, what do you think? So, so you've got to understand that what we're doing today matters, and we've got to deal with how we care. We've got to deal with this idea of being able to withstand temptation and not just caving in every time it comes. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus submits to his test of preparation. He is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. He does not do either. He does not blame God, nor does he try to actually exert all of his godly power. He doesn't play God at this point. Take a look. Jesus later on, by the way, is going to say, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So where does he learn how to do that? Right here. He's got 40 days in the wilderness. Deprivation. Preparation time. And when you think it should all be over, after 40 days, no food, and it should be done, like you think, well, he's been through a lot. The fight is just getting started. That's when the enemy comes and begins to tempt Jesus. He says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. The other gospels share the other parts of this story. Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. He is hungry. He is hungry. I've got a pretty good imagination, and I cannot imagine not eating food for 40 days. The longest I ever did was 10. 
I actually did one time, I did 10 days, I did not eat anything, just drank water. I felt pretty good of myself, but, you know, day 11, I killed Qdoba. I mean, I just totally, (laughs) nothing spiritual happened on day 11. I was done. It was, you know, (laughs) 10 days, that's all I could go. 40 days, Jesus is there enduring this, and that's when the enemy comes to him and says, okay, so if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus digs down into some reservoir of the word that he has within himself, and he says, it is written. And he responds with the word of God that's inside of him. Now, he's tired. He's got two battles to fight here. He's battling his flesh, and he's battling Satan, and they are not the same thing. He's battling his flesh with his fast. The fast taught his body how to deny himself and so that he would be strong and be able to resist temptation. The fast, he was fighting his own flesh, but he's fighting his enemy, the enemy, with the word of God. And you need to understand, that's how you fight the enemy. Does that make sense to you? He's fighting the enemy with the word of God. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He has been disciplined through his deprivation, and he is fighting the enemy with the word of God. That's so good. Then Satan, realizing that didn't work, takes him to the top of a mountain, puts him on a high place, and he says, let me show you all of the kingdoms of this world. Everything that you're here for, Jesus. Let me just, why don't we just settle it and make it easy now? You bow down to me and I'll just give it to you. You just bow down to me and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now he's trying to get Jesus to break his own law. You will worship God, God alone. Have no other gods before me. You know, if Jesus violates his own law, he can't go to the cross and redeem us because he's fallen victim to his own law. And so Satan comes, all these kingdoms of the world, I'll give to you. I'll just, let's just bypass all this fighting. Let's just, just bow down to me and I'll give it to you. This is really a test that is going to happen over and over and over again. This is where you understand the scripture where it says God works all things together for good. Because it's later in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is really hit with this temptation. This is preparation for what is coming later. Because you can't tempt somebody with something that they don't want. And Jesus is in the garden, great drops of blood, you know, of anxiety, you know, because he does not want to go to this cross. If there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, please remove this from me. And meanwhile, Satan has been whispering to him. I mean, he started three years before. Hey, we don't have to go through all this. There's an easier way. You don't have to go through that. Have you ever heard God say that or Satan say that to you? You don't have to put up with that. You don't have to sit up underneath that. You don't have to go this way. Let me show you an easier way. Here's, here's a shortcut. Here, here's a quicker way to deal with it. And so this is what's going on with Jesus. Offering him a way to bypass a bitter cup of suffering. And Jesus is just fighting this out. But he digs down deep again into the reservoir of his word. And he says this. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He just quotes it right out of the word. It comes up from within him, and Satan is sent running again. Again, Satan takes him to another high place, this time the pinnacle of the temple. And there he says to him, now, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, ooh, the devil knows the word too, (laughs) The enemy knows the word, and he knows how to twist it and how to confuse you with it. 
and he says to Jesus, it's written, the angels are charged to take care of you, that if you would throw yourself from this place, that they would catch you in their arms and your foot would not even be dashed upon a stone. Throw yourself off, Jesus, and see what they do. This is the temptation to show off. If you really are who you say you are, well, show off. Let's see if the angels really know who you are. Let's see if they come running. Show them, who they, show them who you really are, Jesus. Every time you go into that mode, do you know who I am? That's him. <laughs> Every time you go into that mode, do you know who I know? Do you know who I was with just this last week and we name drop? Every time you go into that mode of, you know, just, you know, you know don't, don't mess with me because let me tell you something. You know who I could go talk to? Anytime that you name drop, show off, it's him. You've had this happen. And so Satan tempts him again. Now, here's the good news. This is all that Satan has got. That's why this is such a great, encouraging passage of Scripture, because what Jesus went through reveals to us this is all Satan has. He only has three temptations, and here they are. He has the lust of the flesh. Turn this stone into bread. He has the lust of the eyes. Look at all these kingdoms I'll give to you if you'll just bypass and go my way, follow me. And then the pride of life. Show off because the angels will catch you. That's all that he has got. How do you know that's all he's got? Well, that's all he used on the first people in the book of Genesis. When they saw that it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. When they saw it was pleasing to the eye, that's the lust of the eye. When they saw that it would make them wise, that's the lust of the flesh or the pride of life. That's all that he has. And so he's using the same thing on Jesus as he used on Eve, except Eve bit and Jesus didn't. And Jesus just rebukes Satan with the word. He has something that she didn't have. If you don't know the word, friends, you don't have anything to fight with. And it's not going to help you that you know the little sound bite. Like, what was that that Darren was talking about on Sunday when the temptation comes? Where's that little outline? Wasn't there a scripture? What was it that Darren was saying? Well, you can't use my word to fight your temptations. You've got to have it inside of you. You've got to have something that's deep inside of you that is written in your heart. And that's why I know this message is going to be transforming for some of you. Because this is the purpose of the test of preparation. God led you into the struggle and into the problems and into the difficulty so you would finally get to that place. And we've all been there where we say, okay, God, what, what, what are you trying to teach me? (laughs) Have you ever said that? God, what, 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 what is the purpose of all of this? And God goes, good, I've got you right where I want you. That's exactly the point. And that's when you start to get very teachable and you get very open and you open up God's word. You say, okay, God, show me. What is it? See if there's anything that's wrong in me. Examine me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Examine me. See if there's something that needs to be adjusted. Maybe I'm not the only one that was, that, that, you know, maybe I'm not the victim. Maybe there was something that I had a part in the problem. And we get very teachable. And that's when the word of God gets off of the page and has the potential to come and get inside of our hearts. And friends, this is the whole point, what God is trying to get you to do. If you want to interrupt the cycle of meaningless trial after trial after trial, get the word of God inside of you and start to live by that word. So that when the temptation comes, you're not quoting just this book. You're quoting what has been written inside of your heart. Devil, back up because I've got a word inside of me. Now, did that just scare you just a little bit? Seriously. When he comes, there's a confidence that comes after you beat Satan over and over and over again. There's a confidence that comes where you realize, I don't have to be pressured and manipulated. I don't have to live by my moods. 
The word of God is powerful. It's like surgery sometimes. It comes in and it, it changes the way that, that we think. It gives us new perspective. And so when that word gets written into my heart and I can now respond and fight my flesh with, some, with understanding this deprivation that's happening, this is meant to humble me. This is meant to humble me. This is meant to make me teachable. And then I start taking God's word into me and I start having something to fight back with things will start to change. Now, all of this was not even my point today. That was all introduction. Because <laughs> the best part is right here, okay? This is the best part. When Jesus gets to the end of himself, what do you do when you've been going through a trial over and over and over again, day after day after day, and you feel stuck, and you feel worn out, and then on top of that, an attack comes? and you feel so discouraged and so disappointed and so hurt, you have nothing left to give, and you have no more energy to fight, and you're completely emptied out, what do you do? That's where Jesus was when he got to the end of that 40 days. When he came through the fight, he was done. He had nothing left in his own strength. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that God sent angels to him to minister to him. He had nothing left, so God says, okay, when you're at that point of giving up, I will step in with supernatural resources from my hand to give to you that will meet you at the point of your need. That's why James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from God, and there is no shadow of turning. There's not even a hint that he would turn away from you. That's why we sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee, that he will show up when you feel that you're about to give up and you can't go on anymore, that's when God steps in. When you pass the test, there is a crown of life waiting for those who love him. And you see, you need to understand how deep this goes, because some people have been beat down so hard. Do you realize what the divorce statistics are on people who've gone through cancer, or gone through some huge tragedy, or gone through the death of a child, or some other huge thing? And life has just blown them up. And now they're, you know, and one says to the other, I can't believe you stayed with me through the whole cancer and now to leave me now. You know why that stuff happens? Is because people get emptied out. People are finished. They say, I'm done. I can't take one more thing. I've come to the end of myself. I thought I had the energy for 40 years, but after what we've been through in four, I don't have any gas left in me. And people come to the end of themselves. That's why I'm here to tell you this incredible, hopeful word from the Lord. If you come to the end of yourself and there's nothing left to give, God says to you, I will send my angels to you. I will provide for you. It was just a test, and the test is over. It was just a test. It's not finished. It's not, it's not the end of your life. I will provide for you what you don't have. I will give to you what you need when you need it. And if you've ever been there where you've come to the end of yourself and you see God show up and you start to say things, if it had not been for God, if it had not been for the Lord, if it hadn't been for him that got me through, that's when your faith will really start to grow. That's when you'll say, I know that he's real. God showed up. He was there for me. He helped me. Are you hearing this today? Is this helping you today? God will not let you go. Don't quit don't give up. Don't give over. Don't commit suicide. Don't think that life is too hard. Because when you think you can't go one more step, God will show up and give you mighty inner resources of his strength, supernatural resources. The angels are coming. 
and the Holy Spirit is in this place today. Ministry is here today, and I want to pray for you. Will you just bow your heads for just a moment? Will you just ask God and tell him what you need today? There's some people that I want to speak to specifically. You feel like giving up. You feel like giving over. God, I can't take one more day. God, settle their hearts and help them to hear this word. It is just a test. It's just a test. And you're going to come through this thing. God, give them what they need today by your Holy Spirit. Help them, Lord. For the one who's struggling, who feels like they can't go on, Holy Spirit, give them confidence of your presence right now. I want to pray for the one who feels like they've let you down, that they've given over to temptation, that they've not been able to, they've not been able to um, survive the attack and they gave in and they feel horrible and they feel like they've let you down. Lord, I want you to speak to them this morning that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my dear brothers and sisters, I write this to you that you may not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is your substitute, who stands before God, offering his own blood in the place of your own. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just be humble enough today to say, you're God and I'm not. I confess my sin to you. I've given over and I'm sorry. I'm ready to have you lead my life. I'm ready to take, I'm ready to start following you. I'm ready to run away. Say, yes, God, that's me. Surrender to him. Father, for the people who have been tempted to blame you or to, or to just to play God, to meet all their own needs, help them to see the bigger picture today. And help them to trust you and help them to see that this is just temporary, that this too shall pass. And give them the strength to carry on. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's shown us. Thank you that you're making us into the image of your son. One of the first fruits of all of your creation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now this book of James is just going to continue to get better and better and better and more practical and more helpful. I hope you keep coming back and you'll keep receiving this word. I want to tell you I love you very much and I am so proud of what God is doing in your life. Thanks for coming today. You guys keep coming back. God bless you.